Welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, conversations designed to help you as you live, learn, and lead through pain. And now the host of the Nothing Is Wasted podcast, Davey Blackburn. Hello, welcome to the Nothing Is Wasted podcast. I'm Davey, your host, and joining us, our guest co-host for March, Justine Frolker. Justine, yes, I love how you say my last name right every time. I know, I know. I've practiced it. I've practiced it over (laughs) and over. I think I remember sending you a text after our interview with you just to Mm -hmm. verify. How do you how do you pronounce your last name? Uh (laughs) Yeah, and I probably responded, "Just don't call me Justin," and we're good. (laughs) I think that's I think that's true. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's awesome. Well, we're in part four. Our, the last uh, installment of this toxic relationship series, we are interviewing Sierra Weiss. Incredible, incredible story. So good. And uh, of course, just like all of these toxic relationship episodes, we have Deborah Faleta, our resident counselor, on the back end of this. She's going to provide some commentary. So make sure you stick around in the the outro of this to listen to to Deborah. But you know, I, I wanted to I wanted to place this episode in the toxic relationship series, even yeah. though it it's kind of uh, weird how we fit this one in. Um, yeah. But I think it's, it's flipped. A, yeah, I think it's a different it's perspective. Flipped. And there's a couple mm-hmm. different perspectives on this. One, there's a, like kind of two fronts of toxicity in her story. One is the toxic relationships that you're going to see Sierra exposed herself to as mm-hmm. um, as she she left her marriage and she was joining in extramarital affairs and then the 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 difficulty of trying to get out of those you can see kind right. of the, the trappings of the toxic mm-hmm. relationship so there's one perspective on it the second is um, and this one's really interesting because you know up until this point we've been talking about like especially with Gary Thomas's when to walk away that whole uh, that right. whole, whole conversation this this is a situation where her husband, and we're going to see, um, chose not to walk away. Right. And, and he Sierra chose to continue to pursue. One. Yes. And Sierra mm-hmm. became kind of the, the toxic one yeah. agent in this relationship. And so I think I wanted to put this in there because I wanted, uh, again, to reiterate this idea that there's not a black and white, that, that all this has to be really led by the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. and, um, and then led by great counsel around you as well. Yeah, right. And so I'm really looking forward to the listener listening to this. But, you know, I, I thought, Justine, we could just kind of talk a little bit about what we've gathered and what we've gleaned mm-hmm. from toxic relationships mm-hmm. over the course of this, this series. Yeah, well, and I love that this one is this, – that her story is rounding it out because ever – hurt people hurt people. Mm. We all have a story. We're coming from where we have come from. And so we, it is our job, especially as Christ followers to do that work, to seek, to understand ourselves because then therefore we can love and lead others well also. And so I love that this one's kind of, it's Sierra's story is a little flipped. She, she was the one in the, the toxic one. And so, but it's important for us to understand that, that story also. Right, right. Well, it's so good. You know, Jesus said that the first and greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, mm-hmm. and strength. And the second, he said, is like it, love your neighbor as you love as yourself. yourself. Yeah. And it, we skip over that sometimes. Like we think, okay, we got to love our neighbor. Well, it's impossible to love your neighbor well if you don't. And, and I, and I want to say this not from the vantage point of like being a narcissist or self-centered or anything like that, like, right. it, but you have to love yourself or you have to love who mm-hmm. God created you to be. Mm-hmm. Your identity mm-hmm. is centered in Christ. So you love God and then you, 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 you gain peace with yourself. 
right. So that right. then you're able to out of the, out of the outflow of that have peace with other people. Mm-hmm. And I think well, it's hard. It's hard to give what you don't have. Yeah, that's so good. How do you give what you don't have? I can't walk out what I can't name. Mm. If I don't first love who God created me to be, and also fight to stay in alignment with that, mm. how do I I serve the people I love with it? Right, with the wow. love of Him. Wow, that's so good. You know, Justine, I was I was kind of thinking about this like this is a series like our other series that's very shareable. You know, it's it's a great mm-hmm. tool to share with your friends and your loved ones who uh, maybe they have found themselves at wrestling with this idea of toxicity within their relationships mm-hmm. and trying to figure out how do we set boundaries up. Who would you suggest that like if you know if we're kind of giving people insight like mm-hmm. if you have a friend who is dealing with this or is dealing with sure. this, th- th- that's someone you should share this with. What any yeah. any thoughts on that? My, my first one that comes up is that that person in your life that they've started to slink away, mm. to disappear, to cancel. They don't quite seem like themselves when you do see them. The, the light is starting to dim, right? Like Because the people who love us well can start to see us abandon ourselves sometimes right. and so oftentimes good. before we see it. Yeah. So I like for me it's that for that what's that big kind of red flag or trigger or whatever who who's kind of slinked away yeah. disappeared canceled yeah. a lot yeah. who's that in your life they're not really they're not practicing self care they don't have uh-huh. those right and, right and right it, it could be and an to indication. really seek to like it's that important piece it's really huge in toxic relationships especially to actively choose to stay out of judgment. And instead mm-hmm. lean in with vulnerable vulnerability and curiosity to seek to understand where they are. Yeah. Because they're already judging themselves enough. Yeah, absolutely. They, they don't need you doing it for them. Right. That's so good. I think, you know, I would think of somebody like if, if you know, you, you, you guys are having kind of your girl talk or guy talk and you're talking about, um, you know, stuff that's going on and you, you recognize that you have a friend who is in a marriage where the other party never takes responsibility. Mm-hmm. never steps up and, and takes their part in the equation. You know, if there's fights happening all the time, but it's always this either stonewalling or it's this, you know, yes. blame shifting or this, mm-hmm. I think that is a good indication of uh, you, you're in a, a toxic relationship. Right. And so if you have a friend right. like that, this would be a great person to share this series yeah. with. Anything else? Anything else you th- think of? Well, and I think the big one thing that came up for me when you were saying that, like, really attempt to say out of the accusatory language, yeah, like, right. that's not okay. Why are you okay with that? Instead, saying things like, "Can you help me understand, like, what's going on?" Because that doesn't feel good to me. Or, yeah. or even like, if you one of these episodes really resonates, and you think of someone that you love to be able to say, like, "Hey, I was listening to this this podcast, and I just, I'm, I'm gonna be." I'm going to choose courage over comfort hmm. and obey wow. the Holy Spirit and send it to you because I, I've i noticed that something seems off and I don't know what it is and you don't have to tell me. And I just want you to know I'm here. Listen, don't listen, but here it is. Yeah. And you never know, this could prompt a great conversation, right? It's a hard conversation between you know your friend and whatever toxic relationship, that whatever that, mm-hmm. that party is, that could lead to a lot of healing. That's the thing. This doesn't have to always lead to, and I think this is Sierra's story and we're going to find this Mm -hmm. out. It doesn't always have to lead to a severing of that relationship. It can actually lead to a lot of repentance 
mm-hmm. and it can lead to a lot of healing. And so that's our hope and our aim in all of this is let's try to start looking at what does a healthy relationship look like, healthy relationships, no matter what it is, no matter if it's a mm-hmm. romantic relationship, platonic, non-platonic, you know, let's look at healthy relationships because we are becoming healthy and whole people. Yep, exactly, exactly. Well, we would love for you to check us out on iTunes. Of course, go rate and review. We're trying to hit a thousand reviews. We're Let's going hit a thousand. to hit. Come on. We're going to hit. Help all, us all out. All things with that. are possible <laughs> with Christ, right? So we're going to hit That's a thousand right. reviews. So we would love for you to head over to iTunes and rate and review. Nothing is wasted. And also head over to Instagram and follow us at Nothing Is Wasted Ministries, where you can follow us, get, get information on our giveaways, the newest episodes, get great quotes that we pull graphics for that you can share on your stories and point people in the direction of talking through pain and struggle to find our healing. Yeah. And while you're doing that, while you're kind of clicking around, surfing around the web, make sure you go to nothingiswasted.com slash stories and check out our new stories platform. Share your story, submit your story. We'd love to hear it. And while you're surfing around on the web and you're clicking through stuff, go to nothingiswasted.com slash stories. Check out our new stories platform. And if you have a great story that you want to share with us of how God is turning your pain around into purpose, he's healing and redeeming it, share that story with us. We'd love to hear it. Um, And also share any guest suggestions that you may have for the podcast at hello at nothingiswasted.com. That's how we receive most of our guests is just mm-hmm. people suggesting this. And and so share it with us, share this with other people. We just love it when you share it. And uh, without further ado, let's listen to this interview with Sierra Weiss. Sierra, so great to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, you um, actually are one who you wrote your story into us. We were so profoundly impacted by your story that I immediately was like, hey, can we talk to this girl and have her on the podcast? Because it's a unique story. It's a, an amazing story um, and such a, a rich testimony of God's goodness in your life. And and um, and it's so... Uh, in, in unique ways linked to our story as well. And so that's something that really inspired me and encouraged me. And so uh, in a second, I want the, the listener to be able to hear all of what God's done in your life. But first, why don't you tell us a little bit about your life right now? Give us a little context. Yeah, of course. Um, so like you said, my name's Sierra. Um, my husband and I are currently living in Georgia. So we're huge Georgia Bulldog fans. Go dogs! <laughs> even though their season is not a good one right now. But um, yeah, we live in McDonough, Georgia. When I wrote to you, initially we were volunteering at a church, but we actually, right after I sent off that email, my husband and I started as youth pastors at a church here in McDonough, Georgia. Wow. So we're starting that off. It's been really great. We have the best students in the world. We love them. Wow. Um, my husband and I ha- actually met when we were in kindergarten. So, oh my goodness. <laughs> yes. So when I was five years old, he was my ride or die. And, <laughs> and um, he he saw me wrestle a couple kids down on the playground, and I guess he just fell in love right then and there. <laughs> that was it. But, um, You've yeah. heard of high school sweethearts. This is like pre-K sweethearts over here. Oh, kindergarten. absolutely. On our wedding day, I had my brothers as the ring bears, and they carried a sign down that said, uh, Sierra, here comes your kindergarten sweetheart. <laughs> so, yeah, he's he's my best friend, which is amazing. when I get into my story, um, a lot of people are like, wow, where did 
where did everything go wrong, mm-hmm. essentially? Because you guys grew up together. You're best yeah. friends. You're in love. But um, Wow. Well, I also think it's pretty amazing to see you guys stepping into this role in ministry as well. And obviously, when we get into your story, the listener's going to understand why, because, you know, you guys were in ministry and God has now brought you back full circle. Oh, yeah. He's good. He he restores. He is yeah. the restorer. And I'm actually 28 weeks pregnant. Oh, so, that's awesome. And it's crazy how that kind of ties into our story as well of God just redeeming and restoring our story. Wow. Um, it's wow. a little boy. His name's Asher. His name will be Asher. His name is Asher. So but, uh, cool. That's awesome. I know. Do you know what Asher I, means? I'm sure you've gone into the whole meaning of all of this. Yes. Okay. I do. So he's going to be a happy, blessed little boy. Yes, he he's going to be bouncing around. <laughs> he's going to be a happy little guy. So we have we have a nephew. My brother's son is named Asher. It's a good and name. Yes, it's it a really is. Good name. I know, and he's a very happy boy. And so I think there's something to. You know, at least, especially in the Hebrew context, Jewish, the ancient Jewish context, they didn't believe that names were just something that you give flippantly. You know, now we just kind of go, oh, that sounds cool. Let's say they actually believe that a name began to define your destiny uh, from the very outset. The parents would name their kids and be prayerful about it, and it would define their destiny. And I I think there's so much of that, too, when it comes to, you know, as parents, what God prompts us to to name our kids, that there's something shaping about that as well. And so we're going to pray that Asher is very happy. Happy baby yes, that brings a lot of joy to your do. life. <laughs> I mean, he's already kicking around happy feet inside. So That's awesome. I'm sure he's going to bring that to the world. Well, you know, there's a scripture that says you've turned my um, mourning into dancing and uh, my sorrow into joy. And uh, so now you guys are on this really cool side of things where you're experiencing a lot of joy. You're seeing the fruition of this and this uh, son that's going to be born. Um named Asher, but this hasn't always been the case for your story. Why don't you take us back and walk us through um, the story of your family? Yes, of course. Um, So I was born into ministry, so to say. Mm. My grandfather was a minister. My dad was the associate pastor. So (laughs) church... I was, I was born into it. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, when I was born, my dad was in a backslidden condition for the first four years of my life. Um, mm. He just wasn't living for the Lord. He went into the military, was borderline alcoholic. Um, my mom and him did not have a very strong marriage. There was a lot of affairs, a lot of that going on. And when I was three years old, my uncle on my mom's side, Um, He lived with us. And unfortunately, there was some sexual trauma that I experienced there Mm. in the home by the hands of my uncle. He's actually in prison right now for a very long time for doing the same thing to three other little girls. So already at the age of three, I was experiencing things that no child should ever experience. Yeah hands down. So three years old, I'm experiencing sexual trauma. Four years old, I'm going through the divorce of my parents. Mm. Um, They didn't want to bring a lawyer into it. They didn't want to get all that, you know, into existence. So they try to manage it on their own, which led me to being pulled back and forth. Mm -hmm. She's going to stay with us. No, her and her sister are going to stay with me. And it was just crazy. I can't even tell you what happened at what time there? Cause I, I was in so many homes. Yeah. My, you know, my dad was going from house to house. So there was just a lot of brokenness, a lot of confusion, 
a lot of trauma and hurt from a very young age. Um, so from there, my dad did take my sister and I, and we moved to Georgia. Um, he didn't have enough income to take care of us on his own. So he moved into my grandparents' house and that's where I was introduced to church. So it was like one moment I was, I had no idea who Jesus was. And then all of a sudden you're the pastor's granddaughter. You're there every single day watching them stack chairs, pull chairs out. And I was just blasted into this. And, um, I accepted the Lord at an early age. I loved the Lord with all my heart. I loved going to church, going into high school. Um, me and my husband both attended church. We were on fire for the Lord both felt a calling into ministry. And as soon as we graduated high school, um, our first step was going to Bible college Mm. here in Georgia, um, a satellite campus affiliated with Southwestern Assemblies of God Mm. University. So we were, I mean, we were going after it. I was a fireball. (laughs) I I love just speaking the word and I love speaking as truth and speaking into the lives of others. But what I didn't share with people And what I kept suppressed since I was a little girl and I experienced a lot of trauma was that I struggled with same-sex attraction. Mm. And that was something that I was ashamed of because I also grew up in a church environment where you didn't talk about that. Yeah, Um, It was preached from the pulpit, you know, if you have attraction, if you live in this lifestyle, if this is anything you're facing or going through, you know, there's no hope for you. You're going to die and and burn in hell. And that was just the narrative. And so I was scared and I was ashamed. So I kept it suppressed and suppressed and I just didn't acknowledge it. I thought, you know what, if I don't acknowledge it, if I keep it suppressed, then it'll go away. Mm -hmm. It'll go away. It won't be an issue. Mm -hmm. And so I kept it to myself, but going to college and kind of being on your own, and kind of not having your parents looking over you all the time, there was a level of freedom there. And even though I was dating, who is now my husband at the time, I, there was a lot of just, well, let's just see how this goes. Let's, Mm -hmm. you know, so a lot of it started off with just emotional, emotional attachments, emotional conversations until finally I, I couldn't really take it anymore. I wanted to, I wanted to get it out. Yeah. And so I went to a pastor in confidentiality and was just like, look, I'm struggling with this. I don't want to, because a lot of people don't understand. I still loved Jeremy, who is my Mm -hmm. husband. I still loved him, but there was just so much confusion with the same sex attraction. That was still very much real. And that was still very much there. And I just needed help to talk through that. Um, Unfortunately, the church I was at that I was also attending school, um, they didn't handle it the best. Mm. Um, I, I love, I love that church and I love the people there, but I just don't think they were prepared. Mm -hmm. And so they didn't handle it the best way. I was kind of, I almost felt like an outcast, which only, which I didn't even direct towards them. I directed that towards God. So before where I was on fire for God and loving God, it became a, well, God, why are you making my life harder when you're not even helping me through this? You're not even getting me through this. Now I feel like a monster and all the, all this other, you know, all the other names that I'm being called, I can't stand this. 
And so it hardened my heart towards the Lord. And that was the first step. Um, I did try counseling, but it was uh, more correctional than it was actually, let's talk you through the process. And so that hardened my heart even more towards the Lord, where I was just like, my goodness, when the, you know, unfortunately, the moment where I needed people to love me and actually show me the love of Jesus, Mm -hmm. I felt like I was getting the judgment of the Pharisees Mm -hmm. and everything. So, um, that was really difficult. And I opened up to Jeremy and I told him and he, you know, he stood by my side and he said, you know, the Lord is going to get you through this. I'm here to help you. I'm here to pray you through whatever, whatever it takes. We're going to walk this out. And I got probably the worst advice after that, that, that really spiraled me. Um, I was, you know, like I previously said, I experienced sexual trauma at age three. So at that point, that was all that I had experienced in terms of the physical realm of things. And I was, I made a vow to myself and me and Jeremy both that we were going to wait until marriage. That was just Mm -hmm. our decision. We felt like that was the godly decision to do based on his word. That's what we were going to do. We were going to save ourselves. And, um, Someone, a counselor, not sure, and pastoral, you know, they told me um, what you need to do is you need to go ahead and get married because really you just need to be physical with the man. And once you're physical with the man, that's going to heal and fix everything else and take away those same sex attractions. You just need to be physical with the man. And so... I I was 20. I was 20 years old. So me and Jeremy got engaged. We got married because again, I did love him. Yeah. But I still had to work things out and I felt like I was just being swung around with mm. no godly direction or mm. counsel. So we got married and I remember on, you know, our honeymoon night, I just remember laying there and thinking this didn't go away. Mm. Like it's still here and it's even stronger now because what happened is now it was like Pandora's box. Every, all the trauma that I experienced as a three-year-old came to the surface. And I started noticing the months that followed when my husband would go to like, you know, just touch my arm or something. I would back Mm. away from him. Um, If he, you know, in marriage, you want to get intimate sometimes. I couldn't, I couldn't go there. Mm. Um, I started looking at him as men just objectify women. Mm. You don't really, you don't really love me. This, this is all just for you, for your pleasure. This is, you don't care about how I feel. And I started projecting that. And I thought to myself, well, maybe being with a woman wouldn't be this way. Mm. Maybe women, you know, cause a woman, a woman has never harmed me. A woman has never sexually abused me and all these other things. So I started going online, started talking to women. And one thing led to another where eventually I started traveling to see these women. Um, I was having affairs on my husband behind his back um, until eventually he caught me in the middle of one just through text messages and stuff like that. And he confronted me on it. And I said, yes, this is happening. This is something I'm struggling with. I don't want to struggle with it, but it just seems so much a part of who I am. 
I don't know how to stop it. Wow. And so, um, yeah, it, it was crazy. And um, Sierra, I want to I stop right there in the story because, first of all, I want you to know I am so sorry for what you dealt with when you were three and then the ramifications of that, the impact of that all of your life, you know, because it wasn't just this one incident at three. It was, like you've said, a continual dealing with the impact of that trauma of the sexual abuse when you were three years old. And I think there's so many people who they've experienced that kind of trauma, that kind of abuse, um, but they don't want to talk about it um, because it is, it's very, it carries with it a lot of shame, especially in the church. And, you know, so first of all, I want to say thank you for having the courage to talk about it. Thank you. I appreciate um, that. And, and I also took note of what you said earlier that, um, that it was, uh, it was a difficult environment to talk about this kind of a thing in church settings. And I wonder if before we kind of continue in your story, let's take a breath for a second. And can you talk to me a little bit about why is it so important that we do talk about these things in the context of, of the church? How would have, how could it have helped you, you know, back when you were a teenager uh, to be able to have a safe space and an open dialogue within the concept, the context of the church, to be able to talk about what was what was going on um, in your heart. Yeah, um, that's why now I make sure that even our students know, like mm. things such as same sex attraction or whatever. Like you can come and talk to my husband and I, like I've been there. We want to create such a safe place because like you said, I know what it's like not to have that safe place. And if the church growing up would have just made themselves available and said, this is a place where you can come not to receive judgment, not to receive condemnation, but honestly, just we're here to be a sound box just for you to come, for us to listen, for us to try and understand what you're going through. And just to take the time to dig a little bit into the story to see, okay, why is she facing this? Why is she going through this? And I can't speak on behalf of everyone who goes through something similar to me. Um, you know, sometimes there isn't this huge traumatic moment, but for me, there was. Mm. And I actually didn't even come out with my trauma of what I experienced when I was three until I was 23 mm. because I was so ashamed. And like my counselor say, I remember the beginning and the end. I don't remember the middle because it's, they call it blackout where your survival instincts kick in to help you survive through the trauma. So it's all blacked out. So a part of me was even ashamed to try and come out and say anything because I knew, well, what happened? Well, I can only tell you pieces. Well, you can't accuse someone of anything if you only have pieces. So just being able to go to the church and saying, look, this is what I'm struggling with. And I really think it's rooted back to this. And for someone to say exactly what you did, you know, I'm sorry that you went through this. You know, that was not that was not the Lord like Mm -hmm. that. What happened there was not God, but God loves you. 
and he's here for you. And he, he's here to walk you through this process, no matter how impossible or how hard it seems to get through the trauma, to get through that process, he can. And just to encourage me in that and to uplift my spirits to keep going, because when you constantly just hear condemnation and judgment, you, you start to filter that through the lens of that's how God feels towards me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And why would I want to serve a God who feels that way towards me if that's all I'm seeing from the church con- concerning this situation? Mm-hmm. So just it would have it would have changed my story a lot. And I, I hold no bitterness towards the church towards that. I, we've come a long way. Mm-hmm. Yes, there are still, of course, improvements to be made, but the church has come a long way, and I'm proud of the direction that the church is going. And yeah. I just pray that we can continue to have that direction for people like me who who have struggled with same-sex attraction. Mm. Hey, everyone. I'm cutting in momentarily to make sure you've heard about a friend to the Nothing is Wasted community who wrote a really great book that just recently released, Deborah Faleda, who was also the guest of episode 101 on the Nothing is Wasted podcast. Deborah is an author, counselor, and relationship expert, and her book, Love in Every Season, takes readers on an eye-opening journey through the four seasons of every healthy relationship. After reading her book, you'll be able to better recognize the patterns of each season and understand how to navigate each one with intention, which is vital to the health of your relationships. No matter what your relationship status, get ready to learn everything you need to know about how to strengthen your love in every season. Go to nothingiswasted.com slash love in every season to purchase a copy of Deborah's book now. Again, that's nothingiswasted.com slash love in every season. Now back to our interview. That's so well spoken. You know, I think you're right. We The church has gone along. It's come a long way in this um you know, especially in the last decade of being able to yes. create safe spaces. And I think you described it so appropriately what a safe place is to just dig in and be more curious and seek to understand before you begin to indict or cast judgment. Um, and so, you know, I think this is important for us to be able to have this dialogue right here, Sierra, because there's so many people who are listening who they are in ministry, they're not necessarily the person who's struggling with the, you know, um, same-sex attraction or something, you know, that we're talking about right now, but they're helping other people who are struggling with that and they want to know, how do I help? How do I help to create space for that? And so um, thank you. Yeah, thank you for sharing that. That's so good. So you found yourself um, in a space where your husband... uh, essentially caught you in in these affairs over text message. Can you describe that moment for you guys? What was that like? Yeah, it was, um, I wish, I really wish I could say that in that moment, I had a lot of remorse, mm. but that's simply not the truth. Um, it was more of, dang it, I got caught. Yeah. Um, for him, I think it was more shock. Like, I thought we weren't dealing with this anymore. I thought she had worked through this, but this is a bigger, bigger issue than I, you know, initially thought, Um, you know, shock, hurt. But for him, it was 
for him, you know, when we talk, when we talk now, he says, you know, a lot of people ask, was it different because you caught her with a woman than a man? And people ask him that. And he always says, no, like to me, it hurt regardless. This is the woman I loved and I caught her lying. And you have to remember, we've been best friends since kindergarten. Like we, Mm. we tell each other everything. We're very truthful. And for him to catch me in a lie, it broke him. But in that moment, he said, you know, my husband is the biggest encourager. And he, he said, you know, this hurts, this stings. I'm going to have to, you know, earn your trust. But we're moving forward in this. Like mm. I know God can work through this and I know that he can help you. If you just give it to him, he can help you through this and I'm here for you. And I wish I could say that that was my life altering, mm. you know, defining, but it wasn't. And I just went right back into it. And that's kind of where your late wife, Amanda, kind of comes into the story a little bit, because at this time, me and my husband were in ministry. Um, You know, we were in ministry and then I got caught. And then that's when I really took a step back because I was like, you know, if I'm going to live this out, I'm not going to lead people astray because Mm -hmm. that's essentially what I felt was done to me. And I'm not going to do that to other people. I'm, if I'm going to, you know, you know, deal with this and go through this and struggle with this. I, I just can't lead other people. Mm. So we were living in Maryland and I was starting to take a step back. And, um, unfortunately that's when I came across the news feed that Amanda had passed. Mm. And I had mentioned in the email, usually when I read stuff like that, you know, you take a moment, you pray for the family and you move on, but something struck me and, um, you know, I really dove into it and I, I read your initial, you know, first message and I was just thinking like, wow, like, you know, he's going through the hardest thing of his life, but he's still praising God through this. And here I am going through what I'm going through and I'm having a really hard time praising God through this. Um, so eventually me and my husband left Maryland and went back to Georgia and I just kept up with your story. Um, I started reading your blogs and reading about Amanda and her faith, especially when the the blog you posted about how she wrote in her journal, like, Lord, I, I just want you. I just want to go after you. And if that means going to Indianapolis, I just want to be in your will. Mm. And I read that. And I mean, man, the holy conviction and that just hit me like, here I am. And I went back to having affairs behind my husband's back. Here I am having affairs on my husband saying, this is too hard. God can't redeem me. God can't change me. And I always felt God saying, just give me a chance. Like I can work through this. You just have to trust me. And I just refused. And so when I read that, I was thinking, man, this, this woman, Amanda, literally just gave it all to God and just said, whatever, whatever it takes, I'm willing to do it. And it just convicted me in the most loving way. The Holy Spirit convicted me and said, you have to have that same faith, Sierra. Mm. You have to trust me that much. You have to do what it takes because reading what Amanda wrote and knowing what ended up happening yeah, and reading the blog that you post that when your counselor asks you, 
you know, if Amanda knew would she still have done it and you said yes, that blew my mind. Mm. That blew my mind. And I just remember thinking, do I have the same faith to look at God and say, God, I don't know how you're going to bring me through this. I don't know how you're going to take away these same sex desires. I don't know how you're going to heal me of the trauma that I experienced growing up, but I trust you with it. Here it is. Mm. That just seemed so, so beyond me. And, um, and I continue to struggle and Eventually, I did stop for a while and I thought, okay, this is it. I'm good. I don't, I don't have to dive into these relationships. Me and Jeremy were talking more. He was helping me through it. Um, I took a break from the relationships. We went into a um, teen center role for teens that struggled with, you know, um, life addiction, self-harm. And it was there that the enemy just attacked me again. Mm. And I dove right into another um, affair. But this one hit differently because my husband actually knew and was friends with this woman. Mm. And so when he found this out, it was his moment of, I'm going to draw a line in the sand. And he told me, as hard as this is, because I love you with everything in me, you either choose marriage and choose to get help and actually try, or you have to go and figure yourself out. I can't keep trying to control this situation. Mm. And he made the decision of, I have to give this to God. I have to give this to God and I have to trust God with this. So essentially he did the very thing that Amanda in that moment did Mm. the moment of God, I'm giving you full control. I'm giving all my faith and putting all my trust in you. And he did that. And the Lord was still waiting on me to do that. Mm. And I wish I could say in that moment that I, I said, I choose this marriage. I choose you, but I didn't, I packed up my car and I left with the woman and yeah, we, I left in about a week later, I think reality kind of I I can't say it was um, conviction. I think it was just fear of security. Like, where am I going to go? What am Mm -hmm. I going to do? I don't have a job. And um, after that, that relationship stopped. But me and my husband were still separated and continued to be separated for a year. And during that year, I moved to New York, started a relationship with another woman, um, cut off all my hair. You wouldn't even... If you scroll through my Instagram at some of those pictures, I look like a completely different person. Mm. I just completely dove into a a totally different identity. Um, Me and my husband didn't contact each other a whole lot. He would send me texts every now and then just of scriptures. Mm. And what I didn't realize is that whole time my husband was fasting and praying on my behalf and going to war for me and just standing in the gap um, for me and just praying and believing. As so many people said, you need to divorce her. You have every right to divorce her. But he said, no, I know the Lord is going to restore this. I'm fighting for my marriage to the very end. And he only surrounded himself with people that encouraged that, that didn't say you need a divorce. He, you know, and he says every, 
Every person's story is different, Mm -hmm. but for ours, that is the decision and the road that he took was believing and and petitioning for my life. It was more than just our marriage at that point. It was for my soul. It was for, for me to come into reconciliation with the father. And so, um, in New York, I remember the Christmas before, so it had been almost a year I had gotten the book Through the Eyes of a Lion Mm -hmm. by Levi Lusco, Mm -hmm. my favorite book of all time. (laughs) So great. It's so good. It's so good. And um, when I got the book, I put it on my shelf because I wanted nothing to do with God. I, Mm -hmm. when I left my marriage, I left God too. And I just said, I'm done. You know, I'm not doing this anymore. It's too hard. This is who I am. I'm going to live this lifestyle and I'm just going to manage this trauma on my own. I'm over it. Yeah. And so when I was in New York, I don't know why. I I, I know why. It was the Holy Spirit just pinpricking my heart. But I picked up that book and I started reading through the eyes of a lion. And I remember sitting on the train in New York and reading this. and. I was thinking of Levi Lesko and the pain he endured mm-hmm. with his daughter. And I, and it made me think again of you and Amanda, because I remember you had shared that mm-hmm. just a couple weeks or a couple, I can't even yeah, remember how long weeks. before, right. yeah, before she passed that you guys had read that book and it mm-hmm. touched you. And so when I got done about halfway through the book, I just had this moment where I just thought to myself, like, how do these people have this type of faith? Like I couldn't wrap my head around it. How do you go through such pain and such trauma and still call God good? Mm. How, how can you do that? And so the testimony of Amanda and the testimony of Levi started really at that point and your testimony and watching you go through what you were dealing with and still praising God, it really started to impact me. And, um, you know, a couple days later, there was a night where in New York that I decided to end my life because I was, Mm -hmm. I had so much anxiety. The trauma was leading me down rabbit holes. I couldn't manage it on my own. I was trying to control everything Mm -hmm. and I, I couldn't control it. And so I was drinking all day long, drunk all day long, popping pills. So I was laying in my bed and I, I just said, Sierra, this is it. You're, you're taking your own life. And as I was laying there shaking uncontrollably, three o'clock in the morning, I, I heard the Lord and it wasn't audible, but you know, when you, you feel the Holy Spirit speak to you Yeah. and I was laying there and he just asked a question and, you know, looking back, I just think it's funny because when Jesus spoke to people, he spoke Mm. to parables to, to make them process, to make them go on a journey to reach their answer yeah. to reach their conclusion. So now looking back, I see what God was doing. Like, okay, God, <laughs> asking cool. a question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. And he, and I was laying there, and he asked me, "At the end of your life, who do you want holding your hand?" Hmm. And I was laying there, and 
I I want to say this for the listener and for you because it just puts so much of God's goodness into picture. Mm. When I was 19 years old and in college and really going through the the mess of coming out and saying I struggle with same sex attraction and everything, I had a dream and in this dream I was with Jeremy, we were in a hospital and we were holding a baby boy. And as I was holding the baby boy, I asked God, what is his name? And I heard the voice say, Asher Sage Weiss. Mm. And so, and I woke up from the dream and immediately I looked into the names and, you know, happy, blessed Asher. And I was really curious about Sage because that is definitely not a Mm. name that I would be all about. And Sage means wise and prophet. Mm. And so as I was, you know, fast forward to when I was in New York about to take my life and God said, at the end of your life, who do you want holding your hand? It was like in that moment, I thought of every girl that I had ever talked to, that I had ever been with, every emotion, every feeling, every, you know, experience with that. And it just went by so fast. But at the very end, I I saw my husband Mm. and I thought of that little boy that baby boy in my dream. And I said audibly out loud, Jeremy and Asher. And when I said that, I just felt the Holy Spirit say, taste and see that I am good. Wow. And I was just wrestling. And I remember sobbing in that bed and I said, God, I can't do it. It's too hard. These desires are too strong. The pain is too real. I can't do it. And again, I, I just heard the Holy Spirit taste and see that I am good. And I saw the book through the eyes of a lion and I thought of Levi Lesko and I thought of you and Amanda, just all these people that I just saw as these, you know, warriors of the faith. And I remember thinking if they can do it, if Davy can get through what he can get through, if Amanda would still have said yes knowing if Levi can still get up and preach on Sundays, I can do this. Mm. God can do this in me. And so in that moment, I just said, Jesus, I trust you and I'm going to give you everything I got. And then some, and my heart and my life is yours. Please help me through this. I'm, I'm giving you my all. And I'm, and I'm telling you, Davey, to this day, I haven't experienced the peace that came into that room and the most unspeakable joy. Mm. It was, it was so intense. I remember smiling and I realized, wow, it had been so long since I had just smiled. Mm. And and so I kind of started laughing, like in the sense of like, this is crazy. Like (laughs) God is meeting me despite everything I had done. He's meeting me in this New York apartment and just completely wrecking my life in wow. the best way possible. <laughs> wow. One of my favorite things to hear is the unique way that God um, allows us to experience Him because there's no formula for people's stories, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's, it's like it, it, the more you hear people's stories, the more you go, God meets people in so many different forms and fashions. I mean, you see this in the person of Jesus. You see that he doesn't perform a miracle in the same way at yeah. all in Scripture. It's always different, you know? Multiple blind people were healed. 
He did it in a different way every time. It's a unique experience to that person, exactly what they need. And I think one of the greatest testimonies of God's goodness is to hear you, Sierra, say, this was my experience with God. This is what I needed. And he met me in that moment in the way I needed it and showed me he's real. Yeah, and absolutely. And he cares for me. And uh, what, the reason I want to draw that out is because I want the listener to know that if you have never experienced that before, you can. I mean, you, you yes. can experience it now, um, but he wants to meet you right where you're at if you just crack the door of your heart to be able to let him in. Uh, unbelievable. I mean, Sierra, it's just like, it's extremely humbling to to be able to hear um, the impact that, you know, our story has made in your life um, when when you go through what we've gone through and and constantly how many, you know, how many mornings early I wake up and I go, is this like, what's the point of going through all this? What's the yeah. point of going through all this? And I get an email like I got from you that says, Hey, there, <laughs> there's purpose in this, you know? Absolutely. And it, <laughs> I mean, watching you walk through what you have gone through, it's, it really has just changed my life. And I don't know if you've ever heard of the book, Jesus Freaks by DC oh, Talk yeah. and the yeah. Voice of the Martyrs. Mm-hmm. I tell I tell my husband all the time, you know, people wouldn't agree with me, but Amanda deserves to be in that mm-hmm. book. Like, you know, because for me, yep. her, I, it's just God, how much yeah. her story just resonate and impacted mm-hmm. me. Because especially, you know, caring child now and just, just when you said that she would have still said yes and yeah. just through your writings, kind of getting a picture of who she was as a woman of God, Mm. like being a woman myself, it's inspiring to learn from that and to grow from that. So I just, I really appreciate just your obedience and walking Mm. through this and just like your ministry, it's not wasted. Mm. Nothing is wasted. Wow. Well, you know, it's like, I mean, I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? We know the story of that. If the listener's not familiar with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, essentially, to summarize it, they were called to worship a God other than the one true God, and that they were going to be thrown into the fiery furnace that was turned up seven times hotter if they didn't. It's in the time of King Nebuchadnezzar. They chose to go through the fire out of obedience to God, as opposed to trying to find their you know, safety or their security or their, their their void being filled in their heart by some other God. And I think your story speaks to that, Sierra, in the sense that, you know, here's this road that you were going down where you were trying to, f- to fill these, you know, um, these desires and these cravings and these, um, you were trying to fill this void, you were trying to uh, kind of cope with the trauma in whatever yep. way that you possibly could. And at, at the end of each one of those roads, you found that it was leading you to even more empty, more emptiness, more anxiety, more despondency. And, you know, what really um, woke you back up to the Lord was this idea of like, if even if it, if it hurts, even if it means us going into the fire, obedience to the Lord is always the most satisfying way. Exactly, exactly. Man, so tell me, you have this wake up moment. You have this moment where God meets you in this apartment in New York, and uh, it was fantastic for you, right? And yeah, it would be it awesome. awesome. <laughs> it would be awesome if it was like, cool, everything's good now. 
But yeah. I'm sure that that's not the end of the road. There's probably several more steps that and oh, probably yeah. hard steps then to get back to the place where you guys are now, you're reconciled and you are in ministry. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. So I had this huge Damascus moment yeah. in my New York City. I was on a high, <laughs> so to say, spiritual high. And I think just coming into contact with the Lord again, because I realized, you know, it had been so long since I simply just had an encounter mm. and to just feel his love for me in that moment, it really transformed me. Yeah. But like you said, I had a lot going on there. I had a lease on an apartment, a 12 year lease. Mm. I'm a 12 year, 12 month lease. <laughs> and, um, I was still with a woman that, you know, was definitely not my husband. And I remember my dad said, if you get to a point where you finally realize that the Lord loves you and he's holding his hand out for you mm. and, and he wants to walk you through this, give me a call. I will buy you a plane ticket. I will pay whatever I need to pay to make it happen. And I will, I'll pick you up, which I didn't really think about until I, I didn't think that was going to happen. I was like, okay, dad, yeah, this is who I am. You just need to embrace it. Mm. Well, then the Lord showed up and did what only he can do. So I remember I just picked up my phone. I said, dad, the Lord it, I know this sounds crazy, but the Lord it came into the room. He flipped my world upside down. I have to get back to Jeremy. I have to, I have to walk this out and I, I need your help. And my dad bought a plane ticket for two days after that said, I'll pick you up at the St. Louis airport. We'll figure out the details later. And so that part was done, but now I had to talk to this woman that I was with mm. and when I did that, it did not go well at all. Um, you know, she blew up. How can you, how can you say those things? How can you do this? How can you just drop and leave? Um, you know, God, God doesn't care. God doesn't. And so I have this huge God moment and now I have someone telling me that everything I just experienced was a fraud. Mm. And so that was my first test of this faith that I just told God right. I'm giving him. And I remember just feeling in that moment, such a, such a pull from, you know, mm. the enemy of like, yeah, feed into this, feed into mm. this lie. But I remember saying, no, I'm being obedient to God. I am not listening to the lies of the enemy. I know that, you know, God's, God's word says time and time again, you know, he can give you the strength to endure and there is nothing you can face that he doesn't have a way out of. Mm. And so I said, Lord, you know, you, you know, the temptation is this not a beyond you. So I know you're going to make a way through this temptation and I'm not going to listen to the lies. I'm not going to listen to it. And so I stuck to my guns and, um, I said, I, I know you're upset and I'm so sorry, but I have, I have to do this. This is the right thing. And I, I really hope that one day you can come to the Lord mm -hmm. and that you can experience what I have experienced because it's life changing. And, um, wow. two days later I got on a plane, went to Illinois. I, I went, I flew to St. Louis. My dad drove me back to Illinois. And a week later we loaded up the car to drive to Georgia where Jeremy was. Mm -hmm. And, um, I was so scared because remember, I haven't seen him for almost a year at yeah. this point. 
my hair's all chopped off. It was bleached blonde. I was a, I had lost so much weight from all the anxiety I, and everything. And I, I simply told my dad, you know, he could slam the door in my face, but I have to at least apologize for my actions and just let him know that I am sorry. And so we packed up the car and we drove down and we got to his, he was actually living in the basement of his parents. Wow. So I knock on his parents' door at 11 something at night. It was late. I should, yeah. looking back, I'm like, we should have probably waited till the next day. <laughs> but, <laughs> so I knocked on the door and his aunt, who is also staying with them, answered. And she just kind of looked at me like, uh, wh- what is going on? Mm. And she just, she just let me in the house. And I knew that Jeremy was downstairs. And it was just like in that moment, I wasn't thinking of anything. I was just thinking, I just have to see Jeremy and tell him I'm sorry. Mm. So I I go down the stairs and it's dark. I didn't want to turn on the lights and like scared the crud out of him. (laughs) Like I didn't want to be like, here I am. But I I went into their room and I I just kind of touched his arm to like kind of shake him. And I said, Jeremy? And he woke up and I just heard, Sierra, is that you? Mm. And I said, yeah, it's me. And his first words were, I knew God was going to bring you back. I knew God was going to bring you back. And he just hugged me Mm. and he just held me in this hug. And if there was ever a moment that the prodigal son story was alive and real in my life, it was that moment because, and to this day, Davey, he has never, ever held any of it over my head, used it in an argument, has ever thrown it in my face. Never. Wow. And it was just a moment of restoration and God saying, see, you're trusting me and you're walking this, this faith out and you're being obedient and look what I'm already doing. Look at how I'm already bringing healing to your life. And my husband and I stayed up till like four o'clock in the morning, just talking and catching up because like I said, we were best friends and we hadn't seen each other Mm -hmm. for a year. So there was a lot to catch up on and there was no hesitation with him. He's like, all right, like, let's jump back into this. Let's go headfirst into counseling. Let's go get mentorships. Let's put all the accountability we need around us. I was very intentional about accountability Mm -hmm. because that's what I lacked several times in the past. And I, I really wanted to show him like, this is for real this time. Like God has really done a heart change. Like this is, this is serious. I'm committed to the Lord. I'm committed to you in this marriage let's go. So we just, we just went after God and, you know, the counseling, the accountability, everything was great, but really it was, I went so headfirst into just the word Mm -hmm. and just those alone times with God. Like I would lock myself up in a room for like hours and hours, just listening to your podcast, uh, listening to Levi Lesko church messages, going to, uh, my church in town, but just in those quiet moments, listening to worship. And I have two journals, pages Mm -hmm. front and back of just prayers and writing because there's something there's something special about putting your thoughts to paper and yeah. journaling it because now being so far removed, I look back and I read those and I'm like, look at what God has done. Like yeah. this is, this is incredible. And I'm just, I'm just so thankful for that. But really I, 
I have to give so much credit to my husband and just mm. the pain that he endured and how he had the faith when I, I came back into that room to say, God, you are going to restore this and mm. we're going to walk this out together. Wow. Well, I think about too, these moments that you're, you spent so much time, you know, just soaking in God's word afterwards. It's almost like you were having the same moment that you had with your husband when you guys stayed up till four o'clock in the morning and with your best friend right there, you're catching up again. Yeah. And I just imagine that like you and God, um, you know, here's this God that you had a relationship with. You knew him, you grew up in church, you knew, you know, you, you had tasted and you knew that he was good, but you had just forgotten for oh, a while. Yeah. And then here you are reconnecting with the, the, yeah, the God of salvation, the God of redemption, the God of, you know, um, of rescue, all of these things that God was for you, but reconnecting with the God of, who's a friend. Yeah. Who loves absolutely. you. Just wants to stay up till four o'clock in the morning and, and commune with exactly. you. Exactly. And spend time with you. Yeah. And it really felt that way. Mm. Um, because like I said, I, I grew up in church. I was in ministry, full-time ministry with my husband. Yeah. And I, I didn't realize my whole life how much I viewed God as this judgmental, legalistic mm. creator instead of a loving father. Mm-hmm. And so getting those moments with him at the very beginning where I, I just felt like I was like a toddler learning to mm. walk with God all over again. And he was showing me the steps and showing me who he really was and showing me, you know, yes, I, I see the trauma that happened in your life, but I was, I was there and mm. I was weeping in those moments, but I am so good that I can work all things together for the good of those who love me. And I'm going to show you that as we continue to grow in this relationship together. Wow. So yeah, it, it really felt like I was just rekindling with a friend wow. again. <laughs> Sierra, um, how has, you know, your time now with the Lord, but also Jeremy, how, how has God used him and God obviously used his own character to mend this like broken, fragmented projection that you had toward men because of your, um, because of your past trauma, you know? I mean, what, what you said is that at the beginning that all men are, uh, at least your projection of it was all men are abusive, all men just yeah. want to take advantage of me. And that is... Um, you know, very, an, a, a very appropriate projection in relation to what you have, what you have experienced. It's very common that that is the case for, for, uh, victims of, you know, sexual abuse to feel that way. And, um, and yet here you are describing God as a loving father. Uh, and then you've got this loving husband who embraced you as the prodigal, you know, the father embraced yeah. the prodigal son. So how has all of that begun to really restore this, um, this brokenness or this fragmented picture inside of your heart? Yeah, that's an awesome question. And anytime I can brag on my husband, I will do so because he's just such a great guy. Um, Really, it changed everything for me in the sense of, like you said, I just saw men as essentially monsters. I'm, I just, I won't sugarcoat it. I just thought that they all wanted one thing and that they had no feelings towards women. It was just all an act. And to see my husband endure what he did, despite what I was doing to him. So really it was almost like he could turn around if he really wanted to and say, 
I feel objectified. Like I feel mm-hmm. used. I feel like I don't matter. And you're just going behind my back and doing all these things. And to see how he responded time and time again, you know what? I, I'm going to love you through this. I'm going to pray for you through this, but I am going to hold firm and I'm not going to just let you walk all over me, but I will love you through this and to truly love me through it. And mm-hmm. to truly in those moments, show me the love of the father that our God isn't a God that, oh, you messed up. So that's it for you. I'm done. Oh, you, you've experienced trauma of that type. You're worthless. You're nothing. And here is a man that's saying, no, you are something. Mm. You are beautiful. You are God's daughter. He has called you. You have purpose. You know, to to have that spoken over me, it was a picture of the God that I serve mm. and how God feels towards me. And so seeing that lived out in my life, like I said, it changed everything and it changed my whole narrative from this point on. So because I do sometimes I still get temptations, mm. um, you know, it's it's not like it's all done. There are moments there are they are very few and far between now, but where I might get tempted for a second or I might be tempted to think this about a man or just, oh, there there goes typical male behavior. And it's like God uses my husband to bring me back. no. That's, that's another lie. Not all men are this way, you know, especially men who are running after my heart mm-hmm. and who are living for me and are, are striving towards me. So just seeing my husband every day live out his calling yeah. and just loving the Lord with everything he has and demonstrating that. And, you know, when, when you grow close to the father, you know, it only overflows onto Mm -hmm. other people. So I just always remember, you know, if he treats me with this much love and respect and just like almost treats me like I'm, well, as he says, I'm the most beautiful, amazing woman Mm -hmm. on this earth, despite everything I've done. How much more does the father look at me and say, man, look at my daughter, look how amazing she is. Look at what she's accomplishing for Mm me. And you know, I, I wrote in my journal this statement and it says, you know, your testimony is a test Mm. for how you're going to handle your past. Mm. And God gave me that when I was just in my, my moments with him, you know, your testimony is a test of how you're going to handle your past. And I've just made it a decision, you know, I'm going to handle my past well. And I'm going to use it as my testimony to share with others. And my husband encourages me in that. And he's just my biggest supporter. And it's just, he's just a visual example of God saying the same thing. Like share your story, share what I've done in your life, share your testimony and see it change other people's lives. Wow. Man, Sierra, this is just just been incredible just to hear your testimony and hear what your, um, even the, the ministry that you're conveying out of this that the uh, normally we have a lot where for me to just stop and go hey well talk to me about the talk to me about this your testimony speaks for itself it is such a beautiful picture of the gospel uh, oh, it's unbelievable <laughs> to see just you know where god has brought you and all the different pieces of this and uh i'll be honest with you there are a few interviews that we have where i find, where i catch myself really getting emotional and tearing up um, th- 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 there were uh, several points in your story where I'm just like, wow, overwhelmed because it's showing me a picture of, 
who God is and His goodness. And I know it's done that for so many people who are listening to this right now. The the last thing I want to ask you, though, before we have to wind down is if someone finds themselves right now in the same situation that um, you were in, let's say, how would you, you know, how would you speak to Sierra Weiss, um, you know, prior to this New York apartment moment experience with God when you were um, bouncing from relationship to relationship to relationship to relationship uh, with other women? Yeah. How, how would you right now talk to her? What would you say to her? Because there might be somebody who is listening to this and they're in that same exact place. And maybe they're not in the same exact place, but they can completely resonate with the trauma that you're experiencing, the temptation that you experienced, the emptiness and loneliness that you were feeling. What would you say to that person right now? Honestly, I would, I would just ask the question, do you understand how good our God is mm. that despite what you have gone through and what you have faced, he was there in the midst of it. And he saw you in that deepest moment, that deepest, darkest moment. And he loved you and he was weeping for you. But my goodness, from that very moment, he was already planning your restoration, your rescue, your your redemption. And to believe that and to understand that regardless of what has been done to you, regardless of what you know, you have what has been spoken over your life. Our God loves you mm. and our, he loves you more than we can even begin to fathom. And he is willing to do whatever it takes to walk through this with you. He just has to have your hand outstretched towards his outstretched hand. Mm. And the moment you make contact and the moment you say, God, you know, I'm all in. He can take you to places you never thought or dreamed. And I literally had a dream about a baby boy and look what's happening. Like that yeah. is the goodness of God. You can't plan that. Only God can orchestrate something like that. So I would just encourage people, no matter what season of life you're in, no matter how much the pain wrecks you, don't don't come up with a plan B and say, well, God, I'm, I'm going to give you this, but if it doesn't work out, I'm just going to go back. No. No, there's no plan B. There's only plan A. And it's giving your heart to Jesus and it's trusting him with whatever he has and trusting that he's going to care for you in the process. He's going to provide every need you have, both physically, emotionally, spiritually. And he's going to walk through this with you and he won't let you down yeah. because his His word is true when it says nor height, nor depth, nothing, nothing can separate us mm. from the love of him. And truly, you know, nothing is wasted. He can use every single part of your story if you allow him to. And trust me, he wants to. Mm. So I would just encourage people in that. Wow. Sierra, thank you so much for being willing to share your story, um, having the courage to do so, and, um, and, and really just putting our God's goodness on display. It's so, so great to have you on the podcast with us. Thank you so much for having me again. I really enjoyed it. And I'm just, I'm thankful for what God's doing. <laughs> Is there anywhere that we can follow um, you got, what you're doing, your ministry, what you guys are um, uh, tackling right now? Do you guys have a website? You Are, are you blogging at all or what, what can we, yeah, how can you we know, keep track I of you was, guys? I was blogging, but I had to put it on hold because my life is like crazy right now. <laughs> it's about to get even crazier. Um, well, Asher's yeah, not going <laughs> to. Yeah. So really, you can find me on Instagram at Sierra underscore Weiss. Um, 
and just find me on there because whenever I do pick up on the blog again, um, it's actually called Plus One Ministries. I I really reach out to the LGBT community and those who are struggling and don't necessarily want to, essentially my testimony. And yeah. so if you ever just want to read my blogs, whenever I open that back up, just follow me on Instagram and you can see when that happens. Awesome. Well, again, thank you so much for joining us. Yes, thank you. That is a story that I'm just constantly amazed by. Every time we revisit, I'm like, oh my gosh, that wh- how powerful is God? Like the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. is just amazing and drawing people. Uh, but before we conclude this episode, we want to make sure we hear from our resident counselor, Deborah Faleda. So Deborah, let me hear your thoughts on it. You know, as I listen to Sierra's story, first of all, I'm amazed at the power of God and what he can do and how he can restore and heal the brokenhearted, how he can come into the darkest places of our soul and bring us freedom. And um, as, I, as I think about her story, the first thing that comes to mind for me is, is also the power of our trauma, you know, the wounds of our past, the things that we have experienced many times at the hand of someone else, at the hand of sin, at the hand of something that God never intended for us. You know, trauma can be paralyzing. And I've worked with so many clients that have gone through serious trauma like Sierra with sexual abuse or physical abuse, emotional or spiritual abuse, even the loss of a loved one, death. All of these things can be traumatic when we witness them and experience them in our own life. And and a lot of times the, the wounds of our past can be paralyzing because we spend so much time looking back that we struggle to live in the present. I think about the story of Lot and his wife. And what's interesting about that story in the book of Genesis is that they were living in a really uh, dangerous, sinful time. And there was probably a lot of trauma going on all around them. You know, a lot of, a lot of things that God didn't want for them. And so God called them out of the sin of their past. He called them out of Sodom and he asked them to move into something new, something better that he had for them. But he said to Lot's wife, when you leave the city, I don't want any of you to look back. You know, that was, that was God's command over their life. I don't want you to look back. But Lot's wife, as she left Sodom, struggled. I don't know what was going on in her mind, but all that we know is that scripture tells us that she looked back and she was turned into a pillar of salt. And people take that very literally. But I also think we can take that figuratively in that the past can be paralyzing. We can spend so much time looking at our past that we're unable to live in the present. We're unable to enjoy the present because of the wounds of our past. And if you're struggling with some of the hard things from your past, the worst thing that you can do is hold it in. You know, Sierra mentioned that she had held in the wounds of her past for over 23 years. And those wounds were eating her alive and keeping her from freedom. 
when we keep that darkness deep, deep down, the enemy can use it to destroy us. But God is is the, the God of light, and he wants us to bring all of those dark things into the light so that we can be healed. And as a counselor, you know, when I think about you and your past experiences, I just want to remind you how important it is to, number one, accept your past. You know, instead of trying to ignore it or pretend it didn't happen or, or, or make less of it and not make a big deal out of it, it's important to accept it, to acknowledge what happened to you and how it impacted you. It's important to grieve over your past. You know, it's okay to grieve over your past because it broke God's heart as much as it breaks yours. Number two, it's important to understand your past. You know, so much of what you do is because of the trauma that you've experienced. You know, a lot of times we're so used to that trauma. We're so used to living out of our trauma that we think the things that we do are normal. We don't realize that a lot of the issues that we struggle with in intimacy or honesty or vulnerability are because of the trauma from our past. So it is important to get to understand your past and to see how it's shaped you. And lastly, it's important to learn from your past, to learn from it so that you can do whatever you can to, to, to keep away from repeating the patterns of your past, that you can set boundaries and protect yourself to the best of your ability. You know, as you accept your past, as you understand it, as you learn from it, as you bring it to the surface, you allow God to begin to heal your past. And let me remind you that healing happens in layers. God brings up the trauma of our past little by little as we're ready to accept more, as we're ready to receive more healing. It doesn't happen overnight, but little by little, God can free you from the trauma of your past. And, and if you're really struggling, I, I, I just really encourage you to get in touch with a licensed counselor who is also a Christian, someone who can help you on the journey of healing. Because no matter your past, you don't have to be paralyzed by it anymore. Thank you so much, Deborah, for all of that wisdom and helping us understand mm-hmm. more about toxic relationships. Yeah. Well, uh, Justine, this has been an incredible series on toxic mm, relationships. Yes. Before we sign off, we definitely want to thank Sleeping at Last for providing all the music for the Nothing is Wasted podcast. And uh, out of curiosity, what is what is your favorite Sleeping at Last song? <laughs> There's so many good it's, ones. Oh, well, they're all good. and But my favorite is my Enneagram Type 4 because... Because I'm always melancholy and got to understand myself. (laughs) And there's an authenticity line in there about poetry that just like sears to my soul. That's true. Well, you know, I I just found out you're a four wing three. I'm a three wing Mm -hmm. four. So we kind of uh, can relate to each other, understand each other a little bit. I would have never guessed that you're a four though, because you're not melancholy, at least least interactively, you know, but obviously I'm not in your life. And uh, people would probably say the same thing about me, you know, that... I'm a lot more like extroverted around people, but man, I love right. getting into that melancholic space. Totally. And when I really buy into that lie that nobody sees me, ooh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My favorite Sleeping at Last song is Uneven Odds. And it, mostly oh. it's because there is a really powerful moment where Christy and I were dating that this song was on at my house and she kind of uh, shared some stuff with me and... Oh, 
she basically allowed me the space to talk to her about my late wife, Amanda. And it was like this massive healing moment with like the soundtrack behind us. Oh, uneven that's I'm amazing. Like, so now every time I listen to it, I just think about this really powerful healing moment. So oh, thank you, that. Ryan O'Neill. Holy cow. You're just oh, leading us into healing. So talented. Who knew? I bet he never knew that as he's writing this music. Make mm-hmm. sure you download his music everywhere. Music can be downloaded and streamed. And uh, next week, we've got an incredible interview with two great friends, and we're going to learn a lot about friending next week with Patrick Gray and Justin Skisik. So listen to this little clip from my conversation with them. You know, early on, you know, being so young in my early 20s, a lot of it was just trying to figure out what's going on. I mean, when you're dealing with a disease like mine, especially it's progressive neuromuscular disease, eventually it will take my life. Um, You're really trying, I mean, in the earlier stages, you're just really trying to figure out how, what, okay, where are we going with this and where, what's the trajectory Mm. here? Um, And it's more or less a process of elimination, trying to figure that out. I mean, I was actually diagnosed with ALS before my final diagnosis. So, I mean, I remember very clearly sitting, I mean, I was, you know, 20 years old, 19, 20 years old, sitting in a doctor's office by myself. Like I'm down in California. My parents are uh, in Idaho or Eastern Oregon. And I had nobody with me. I'm just sitting on this doctor's table, you know, the, the counter and, you know, the doctor says, I think you have ALS and I think you got about four years to live. 